0: Now, I want to talk to you today about resurrection, faith, and revival. Last weekend was Easter Sunday, and of course, was the day that the church sets aside to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. But we know that Easter Sunday is not the only day we should celebrate the resurrection of Christ. We should, as believers, live every day conscious of the resurrection, conscious of the life that has been imparted to us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We should live every day understanding that we have been raised with Christ. That you have been, you have already been raised with him. This is what Ephesians 2, Paul writes, We have been raised up with Christ and seated in heavenly places. Even though you are seated down here at Christ Fellowship in Taylor, Texas, the Bible says you have already been raised up and you have already been seated in heavenly places in Christ. That seat is yours. so the promises of god that are made to you in the scripture are sure because of what jesus has done turn over to 2 corinthians chapter 15 2 corinthians chapter 15 I'm going to begin reading to you from, let's say, verse 16. I want to read to you verses 16 through 19. Second, I mean, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 16. Did I say second? I'm so sorry. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 16. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Father in heaven, take your word, take your gospel today in all of its power and change us and transform us. Father, I am nothing but a messenger. I am not a salesman. I'm not here to sell the gospel. I'm not here to sell you, to talk people into believing into you. Lord, you have simply commissioned me and every believer to be a messenger that delivers your gospel, and it is your gospel and your gospel alone that has the power to save men. Deliver us from the power of men's words that we would firmly plant our trust in the power of your word. Let your word in all of its power work today in our hearts for your glory. In Jesus name, amen. There's a gentleman, he's passed now, his name was Martin Lloyd-Jones. Martin Lloyd-Jones was called by some the greatest preacher of the 20th century. He was an English gentleman. He ministered at Westminster Chapel for many, many, many years. And I listened uh, to some of Martin Lloyd-Jones' messages about revival. Have you guys noticed that our country needs something? And it's not a new president or an old president. (laughs) Presidents aren't going to fix what's wrong with our nation. You know, it's like us as human beings. We think. And we take this to various extremes. So I've known some people who said, you know what, if I just could get me another wife, I'd be happy. You know, if I just had another husband, I'd be happy. You know, if I just lived in a different home, had a different job, moved to a different town, got a different dog, got rid of my cat, I'd just be happy. We go down the list of things that we think are going to make us happy. That's going to give us the life that we want. And we all want different things. It's, all, it's, all, it's like wealth. Wealth is relative. Some people who are millionaires don't really think they're all that wealthy because they have friends who are billionaires. <laughs> then the rest of us folk down here, I don't know, not any disrespect if i got any millionaires out here, but for the rest of us who aren't millionaires... You know, we like. I just like to be a 100,000 thousandaire or something. You know, I'd be happy. <laughs> and so, we we live in this world that's kind of relative, you know, and everything's. But the reality is, those those aren't the things that bring us true joy. Those aren't the things that are going to give us the life that we. Really want and really desire we think we know what we want, we think we know what we desire we chase after all kinds of things that we think are going to bring us satisfaction, and we live life and it 's this grand experiment of failure after failure after failure if you're if you're fortunate. do you realize that the vast majority of people never come to know their true need out of their success. So I want, to give, I want to give a word of encouragement to anyone here today who has ever experienced failure. Who has ever walked through the valley of shadow. Who may have or may Be right now in a place of great need in your life. I want to encourage you because it's a very rare thing that we come to know our true need out of our success. It is usually out of our failure, out of our falling. And out of the realization of our fallenness. That we are able to look up and see our true need. That my friends is the grace of God. When you're walking through the valley of shadow. It doesn't feel like God's grace. When disease racks your body. It may not feel like God's grace. But if God is able to take whatever you're walking through, if God is able to take whatever situation and circumstance in, around your life, whatever you find yourself right in the middle of, whatever you find yourself stuck in, and that has caused you to lift up your eyes to the hills from where your help comes from and you realize all this time I thought I just needed more of this or less of this or a different this or a different that. But in reality, what I always needed was Jesus, not a Jesus to put in my pocket and carry with me so when I fall on hard times, I can pull him out and there he is to rescue me. No, Jesus is not your get out of jail free card. Jesus is either Lord of your life or he is nothing to your life. I'm going to say that again. He is either Lord of your life or he is nothing to your life. And you should fear. You should be fearful if God were to allow you to walk through life so deceived that you think that your success, your comfort, all the things you've You've, you've feathered your nest with to make life what you want it to be. If you were to go through life thinking that you have arrived and that you are blessed and you have no need of anything else, if God were to allow you to walk through life like that, I pity you. Because what most people want in life is is not what God wants to give them, it's what they want to give themselves. We want to bring God along for the ride, just so that we have his undeclared blessing. We invoke the name of Jesus, so that, just in case, God knows. No, listen friend, that's not how it works. If he's not Lord of your life. If he's not the one. Who is above everything. If you don't know that. If you don't acknowledge that. If you don't live your life like that. You are living a lie. You have deceived yourself. And if God has allowed you to come to a place where you can't seem to get it together, where you can't seem to get out of this rut, where you can't seem to get over the hump, if God has allowed you to come to that place and it is causing you to look to Him, to seek Him, to run after Him, to find Him in desperation, then you should rejoice. You're not finding God. He's already found you. Listen, God's not playing hide-and-seek. There used to be a book, it was a very popular book called The God Chasers, and it was this book, and the analogy was, God's playing hide-and-seek with us, and he's hiding, and sometimes he lets us find him. No, listen, that's not how it works. You want to know why that's not how it works? Let me tell you this. Let me let let the Bible tell you. I know I'm nowhere near my notes. Romans chapter 3. If you can put it up on the screen, put Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 18. Here's our true condition apart from Jesus. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Get you a little yellow wax pencil. Or a pen or a pencil and underline some of these words like none and no not one. Because you know who that none and that no not one includes? All of us. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. Listen, God is not playing a big game of hide and seek with us, that's heresy. If you've got that book, burn it. I used to have it. I got rid of it. I used to believe it. I don't believe that anymore. It's a bunch of foolishness. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. Their tongue is... They have, with their tongue, they practice deceit. You know who we lie to most? Besides God? The person we lie to most is ourselves. And then we read books on how to lie to ourselves better and feel better about it, feel good about it. Listen, get rid of those books and start reading the book. Read the Bible, okay? Read the Bible. And let the Bible be the book that governs all the other books you read. And when you read these other books that don't line up with the book, you know what you do with that book? You throw it out. But you got to know what the book says before you can judge anything else. Their throats in open tomb, with their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction and misery are in their ways. It's a pitiful picture here. In the way of peace, they have not known. Everybody wants peace, the world says it wants peace. We want a president that's going to bring us peace and prosperity. Who's it going to be? Unless Jesus runs, they ain't out there. In the way of peace they have not known, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Did you hear that? There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's a problem no fear of God is a problem. The proverb says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom but God today has become someone we shouldn't fear. But if our only understanding of God is some hippie flower child who's walking around giving out daisies to everybody, who says, hey guys, no problem now. Anything and everything goes. All we need is love. I think I'll start a band and call them the Beatles. All we need is love. That's right. All we need is love. But we need love as defined by this book right here. Not love that's defined by the world. Not love that's defined by our favorite boy band or rock band or whoever. God is love. Before love is anything, God is love. That means our definition of love better line up with who God is, not who we want him to be. Remember, if you were here today for Bible study, Sunday school, R.C. Sproul says this. He said about the little card that was on his desk, we are charged to preach and teach what the Bible says, not what we want the Bible to say. So, Paul writes, Paul writes here in his letter to the Corinthians that if the only hope that we have in Christ is in this world, we are of all men the most pitiable. Martin Lloyd Jones. And I believe this, he says there are three things that are consistent. So if you look at a culture that is in need of revival, and listen, we can live in any time, in any circumstance, and say we need revival. But I think, I think it's fair to say as Americans in 2016, as we look across the landscape of our nation, I think it's fair to say that we live in a time, we live in a land, we have a church. I'm using that with a big C, and and it's all inclusive. We have a church in our country. We are a nation in need of revival. Something not only has to change church i'm telling you something is going to change now i don't know what that change is going to look like it's not going to look like what what it was professed to be back in 2008 okay that ain't the kind of change i'm talking about i'm talking about something real happening in our nation and i'm i'm not talking to the world i'm talking to the church i'm talking to you you are the church I'm talking to you, whether you trust in Jesus today or not, I'm talking to you like you do trust in Jesus. You're here listening, so I'm going to assume, as dangerous as that may be, that you are a person trusting in Jesus. And if you're not trusting in Jesus, you better start trusting in Jesus. I mean, the Jesus who is Lord of lords, the Jesus who is King of kings, the Jesus who is God of gods. This isn't a Jesus you carry on your key ring. This isn't a Jesus you put in your pocket, hang on your mirror, put on your dashboard, affix to your bumper sticker. This isn't the Jesus you carry around just so you're covered in case. No. This is the Jesus who says, I will be Lord or I will be nothing. And he is Lord whether you believe he is or not. He is the sovereign, whether you believe he is or not. And one of the hallmarks of a nation desperate for revival is a nation. It is a church that has departed from the doctrine of God's sovereignty. We don't believe in a sovereign God. We believe everything is relative. We believe everything is floating. There is no fixed truth. There is no absolute God. There are gods. There is no one way. There are ways, but there is not just one way. Come on, pastor, you need to get with the time. You're narrow-minded. You are ignorant if you think there's only one way to God. God's whoever I want him to be. That's the world we live in now. God can be that doorknob if you want him to be. I can be a girl if I want to be. I can be whatever I identify myself to be. God can be whoever I identify him to be. Do you you see something there? I, 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 me, me, me. We've turned the gospel into an I-centered, me-centered, man-centered message, and that is not, church, that is not what it is. And the reason we have problems today with the sovereignty of God in America is because we're living in the fall. Because we've never wanted God to be sovereign. Adam didn't want God to be sovereign. Adam said, yeah, God, I hear what you say, but you know what? I think I'm going to go this way over here. I think I'm going to eat the fruit. After all, I heard tell that the only reason you don't want me to eat is because you don't want me to know what you know. And I think, I think, I think I can know what you know. I think I'm big enough to handle it. Okay. And you know what? In God's grace, guess what? God allowed man to fall. In his grace, you hear me, church? The cross is not plan B. The cross is not God reacting to man's mistake. God does not react to our mistakes. God is not a reactive, he is a proactive. God is never following you and coming up behind you and cleaning up. God is always before you preparing the way that you don't even know you're going to go. You might not think God went before you and prepared the way, but I promise you that's who God is. Is he with you? Yes. As Patrick said, above me, beneath me, front of me, behind me, around me. Uh, Yes, he's God. But we've created an image of God that seems to indicate that he is this old man up in heaven who's just fixing our mistakes as we go. That really, we're the sovereigns. And God exists to do our bidding. As I've said before, and as I will say many, many times again, God does not exist for you. You exist for God. God's not up in heaven so that you, at your beck and call, at whatever whim and desire you have, you can just call upon him, and he's going to do whatever you want. That's not who God is. God created you specifically. God created you with specific purpose. And your life will glorify God one way or the other. Like Peter or like Judas. If that scares you, good, it should. Because we need to know, are we Peter or are we Judas? Am I following Jesus to get what I want? Have you had an epiphany? Have you had a revelation that God doesn't exist for you, but you exist for God? And the things you want to hang on to in life, the things that you want to call God, the things that you don't want to let go of, that have become your God and your idol, are the very things that God will pry out of your hands. He'll break your hands. He'll break your arms if he has to, to get you to turn loose of those things. And if you think that's cruel, you better think again, that's the grace of God. What's cruel, what's What's horrible to think about is that God would let you go through life clinging to those idols and let you keep them all the way into hell because that's where they're going to go with you. If you don't let go of your idols, you're going to carry them right into hell and they'll burn with you. The only difference is those idols will burn up, but you won't. That's, an, that's another thing. So we don't, we don't like the doctrine of God's sovereignty. We don't like the authority of the Bible. Why do, we, wh- why, why do you say things like that, Pastor Jeff? Don't you know that that's not popular? But it is what the Bible teaches us. I mean, it wasn't popular with my kids when I said you can't have that. And sometimes I had to spank them. And they cried, and they let me know, I'm not, you're not very popular with me right now. And we don't seem to have a problem. Well, actually, we do. I was going to say, we don't seem to have a problem with that, doing that with our kids, but actually, sometimes we, I, I think there is a great problem. We don't even do that with our kids. We run an after-school program here for at-risk middle schoolers. And the reality is, we got sixth graders who are autonomous Human beings who just, in their mind, they think they can do whatever they want, and there's no one to tell them any different. And if someone does, it's like the end of the world. I mean, if you just simply say, nope, you got to pick your trash up. <laughs> i got to pick my trash up. You know why that's a problem? Because no one's at home making them pick their trash up. Clean my place up. my. I, so what if I got food and ketchup and mustard everywhere? What do you mean clean it up? You know why that's a problem? Because there's no one at home making them do that. So they, they don't learn. Well, it's easy for us to look at sixth graders and say, yeah, man, they just need a you-know-what. But what about us? We're, we're no different. It's just, It's just we're a different age. We're dealing with different issues, but we're just as spoiled, we're just as rebellious as those 6th graders with no guidance. And if God is providing guidance for you, as hard as it may be right now, you better be thankful. Hebrews says that a good father disciplines his children. And God is a good father. Discipline is not about punishment. Discipline is about love. Discipline is about leading us and guiding us safely to safety and to life. If God has interrupted your life, if God has intervened in your life, even in a painful way, be thankful. And ask God, what? he is trying to do through his intervention. You can't be Lord and he be Lord. And this is what we want. This is why we have developed theologies. We've departed from the Bible. We've departed from the gospel because we want to be able to be Lord. And we also want God to be Lord because who wants to go to hell, right? So if Jesus has to be Lord for me to go to heaven, then okay, I'll acknowledge him as Lord, but I'm going to create this theology that lets me run my life here. Then when it's time to go to heaven, Lord, just take me on. So I'll, I'll tell you what, God, you let me be Lord here in this life, and then I'll let you be Lord in the next life. How about that? It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. So we don't like the sovereignty of God. We don't like the authority of Scripture because Scripture doesn't cut any corners and it doesn't compromise. It calls sin, sin, and it's not a shame to do that, and we should not be either. And we don't like this doctrine of man being in sin and the wrath of God being justified. So we've created this God who's not going to Who's not going to do anything to anybody. Oh, well, no, that's not true. You know, guys like Hitler, well, you know, he deserves to be punished, but I don't. Really? Where where is that in the scripture? Where in the scripture does it say some deserve to be punished and judged? But only if they're really, 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 really bad. I mean, just because I want to have my way and have my life the way I want it, that doesn't make me bad. No, that didn't. You're right, that doesn't make you bad. That doesn't make you sinful. The reason you want your life the way you want it, the reason you want to be in control, is because you are sinful. Behavior... It's, our behavior doesn't make us sinful. We don't become, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It's called total depravity. Listen, my little grandbaby right there. Until the Lord Jesus... Regenerates that baby until that baby comes to faith in Christ. David said, I trusted my mama on when I sucked at her breast. That baby might be laying at its mother's breast right now. That that baby might be in faith. I don't know. But here's what I do know. The Bible says we're born in sin. And that child... As with every child and all of us, we've got to come to a place in our life where faith is manifested. I can call myself a Christian all day long, but what is my life manifesting? And so we don't like this idea of sin and God's wrath. We want to explain away sin and deny God's wrath. We want to live with this false assumption that God can't be the God of wrath and the God of Jesus at the same time. And the only reason we can believe that is because we obviously don't read the Bible. Read Matthew 23. Read Matthew 24. Read the words of Jesus to his generation and he warns them and tells them destruction is coming upon you and it's going to be horrible jesus that's jesus we have this false belief that the wrath of god is incompatible with the god of love But if the magistrates at Nuremberg at the end of World War II would have said to the Nazi elite that was still alive, well, I know you guys did some horrible things, but you know what? We're willing to forgive and forget if you guys are. All those millions of people that you guys experimented on and toasted in ovens and gassed, displaced, tortured, you know, if you're willing to forget it, We're willing to forget it. After all, God is a God of love. Really? How would you feel about that? You wouldn't feel good about that. You wouldn't call that love. You wouldn't call that justice. You would say that's injustice. But yet somehow we want to create this God who's not going to really exercise his wrath on people. Because it's too unpopular, it's too politically incorrect to talk about that God. Well, yeah, but the Bible talks about him. Well, that's your problem. You believe the Bible. You shouldn't believe the Bible. Don't you know the Bible's not reliable? It's out of date. It's just a myth. It's a bunch of myths. Well, I thought it was God's word. Well, who's God? I mean, your God, my God, you got your God, I got my God, you got your truth, I got my truth, I mean, come on. Nobody lives like that anymore. Really? Yeah. We're in the 21st century. We've been enlightened. We've evolved. Do you know there's preachers who call themselves gospel preachers who actually deliver that message? That we have evolved. This is why you can identify to be a man or a woman or anything you want. This is why the number of chromosomes you have make no difference in determining your sexuality. It's all about your emotion. Because we've evolved to that place. It's acceptable now. No. We need revival. That's what we need. We think we can live life anyway, do anything, and it's okay with God. No. No. And if God has challenged you, if God has brought you to a place where you are crying out for his grace and mercy, thank him because that's a good place to be. That means you've got a Father in heaven who loves you. You've got a Father in heaven who has allowed you to come to a place where you are looking to him. Now you might be like Job and say, I've been looking to him, I've done nothing wrong that I know of. Now what, Pastor? Keep looking to him. Keep trusting in him. He is good. He is love. He is with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. Ask him from a heart, an honest heart. Say, God, if I've got idols in my life, reveal them to me. And then be obedient to get rid of those idols. You know what they are. Stop living in denial. Stop lying to yourself and stop lying to God because it doesn't do any good. Stop justifying your rebellion and your disobedience. Stop it. God loves you. How do you know? Because he sent his son. Do you know how much God hates sin? God loathes sin so much that he sent his only born son son to eradicate it to defeat it in the lives of his children God loved you so much that he sent his son to die so that you could be free from sin and what do we do with that reality we want to keep living in our sin and justifying it and if God lets you do that have mercy on you if God does not allow you to do that thank him Because He is working by His Spirit and in His grace to set you free and to bring you into a place of true freedom and true life. That's what God wants for His children. True freedom and true life. So if you are trusting Jesus today, even though you may be walking through the valley of shadow, keep trusting It may be so dark that you can't see your hand in front of your face. This is why David, who was a shepherd, writes, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for your rod and your staff. They comfort me. You know what the shepherd would do with his staff in the darkness? He would touch the sheep with his staff. He would sing to them. He would utter his voice and touch the sheep with his staff and the touch of the staff and the sound of his voice even though it was darkness and the sheep couldn't see sheep don't like it when they can't see they would the shepherd would bring comfort you might be in that place of darkness hear the voice of your shepherd feel the touch of his staff and know that he is with you and he is leading you and guiding you out of the valley of shadow But it's in the valley of shadow that we realize that we must trust Him. And that apart from Him, we can do nothing, we have nothing. Everybody's looking for the quick miracle fix. Read your Bible and see that even in the Bible, the quick miracle fix was the exception. We got preachers out there preaching false gospels telling you you can name it and you can claim it. And if you just do this and if you do that and it amounts to nothing more than a bunch of witchcraft. When in reality, we've departed from the scripture and what we need to do is get back in the word of God, wash our minds with God's word, put our faith and our trust in Jesus, fix our eyes on him, not be moved by the valley, not be moved by the darkness, not be moved by the the things that are trying to distract us, but keep our gaze fixed on him. He keeps those in perfect peace whose eyes, whose mind is fixed on him. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Find his peace and do not leave that place. Even if all hell comes against you, do not leave that place. Do not take your eyes off of him. If you're too preoccupied looking to other things, get your eyes off those and get them on Jesus and cry out for his mercy and grace to be poured into your life. If we can come to this place, if that can be a beginning for us, we can find revival. And I don't mean revival in some emotional hoopla. I'm talking about a revival that begins in my heart and in your heart. Because before revival will be anywhere, it's got to start in your own heart. This is your Jerusalem. Look in your heart. Ask God to open your eyes and to reveal to you your true condition. And then look to the only one that can heal us in every sense of the word. Amen. Let's all stand.